Welcome to the Nintendo Power Zone. We are a bi-weekly video cast slash podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo-related topics. I am your host, Nice One, and joining me today are my co-hosts, Blues and Jada Winksong. Welcome back to the show, guys. How y'all doing? Uh, my face hurts, but I'm good. <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. All right. So today we have quite the show. We are going to discuss all the major shakeups that are happening at Nintendo as detailed in last week's financial briefing. So there's a lot to talk about. But before we do, we got to go ahead and just move into the powered up news. So first things first, Splatoon 2, man. We have two very interesting Splatfest themes going on in the U.S. and in Japan. So for the U.S., we are having a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Splatfest that's going to be based on the new version of the Ninja Turtles show that will be premiering on Nickelodeon in around September. And this is really cool because I think this is the first time we've had Splatfest art that is being drawn by Americans. So it's very interesting artwork. It's drawn by the people who are currently drawing the new Ninja Turtles show. And it's very different. It it looks very American. It, it does look very American, yeah. It, it's funny. It's funny too because it's not it's not really just American art. It's like that American trying to emulate anime art. Mm-hmm. Like with the uh, look at know, Raphael. Obviously, like Teen mm-hmm. Titans art style, like Teen Titans, oh, yeah. like mm-hmm. how they try to emulate, you know, anime. Mm-hmm. And Fair it enough. looks weird. Mm-hmm. It looks a little off, but it doesn't look ugly. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're seeing here with this Splatfest art. But this Splatfest is actually really intriguing. So it is a multiple week Splatfest. So mm-hmm. week one is going to be Raphael versus Leonardo, mm-hmm. uh, Team Raph all the way. Uh, week two is going to be Donatello versus Michelangelo, Team Donnie all the way. And then the winner of those two uh, Splatfests will go on to determine whether it will be either Team Leo versus Team Mikey or Team Raph versus Team Donnie. So this is a multi week. Splatfest. I, this is an amazing idea, first off. It's like I a tournament to see who's yes, the very best. Tournament Splatfest. That is awesome. Very cool concept. Uh, and I can't believe it's taking us this long to even attempt to do a Splatfest like this. Like, we're on the second game, and they're trying well, something like this. Well, the tournament arcs are always in Season 2. Tournament arcs, always Season 2. Ah, that's true. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I really do like this. And it's Ninja Turtles. I mean, that mm-hmm. I, who any boy from 1984 to now has some kind of intrinsic love for the Ninja Turtles. Like it they have they have you know survived 30 plus years and they now that they're you know part of the Nickelodeon family, I see no reason for Nickelodeon to not continue to push Ninja Turtles with, you know, movies, TV shows, etc. And hell, this is a really cool one. This is much better than the SpongeBob versus uh Patrick Splatfest from from Splatoon 1. And this makes yeah, up for the Nike Splatfest. This makes up for the Nike Splatfest because I, I I'm still, still a little Jordans, salty though. about that. I still want my Jordans. So, real quick though, uh, this is just uh, America, right? For the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Actually, I think this yes. is America and Europe. That's that's interesting to me because I would have figured that they would have also opened it up to Japan because it's not like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are super obscure in Japan either. They've had companies like um, Bandai's Tamashii Nations, which uh, they do uh, really, really intricate um, figures. I got uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've done Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What I was going with that, and I don't know. I, I figured that it would be something to get Japan in on as well. Um, so it is kind of interesting from that standpoint. Japan has their own, but I think I want to touch that on that a little bit. Um, I do want to talk about just I forgot what it was. Lost train of thought. Never mind. No. <laughs> okay, I'm I, I'm looking at the article right now. It is open to the U.S. and Europe, so. Hmm. This isn't going to be a larger Splatfest. I mean, typically, uh, we the only you know European community that we play with is the Australian community, uh, yeah. as far as far as how it works regionally. But this is open to all of the U.S. and Europe. So, and we might be seeing a you know a lot bigger Splatfest results. There might be a bigger deviance into which team is better by popularity versus uh, how many battles won. I remember what I was going to say. Um, the Autobots and Decepticons Transformers Splatfest is the only real one that I felt like this excited about, like an actual crossover one. Like obviously the Nike one would have been cool, but yeah, we didn't get that, so I can't feel excited about that. But seeing like this is this is way better than the Special Patrick. It's even better than oh, Autobots yeah. Decepticons because so like, the, that one, the Transformers one, that was also America only, right? Yeah, yeah. That's so weird because Transformers is also big in Japan. So yeah. it's, I don't know. I don't know. I would love to go back and see uh, how the team determines which ones are only region, certain regions versus which ones are global. That would be I just really think that uh, I honestly think that this speaks more to, you know, the European and American cultures. I mean, with Transformers, I mean, Transformers is technically a Japanese property that, yeah was brought over it's yeah. not you know the, you know i think it's easier for their stuff to appeal mm -hmm. to us versus our stuff appealing to them yeah so i'm i don't know i mean even though like ninja turtles are inherently slightly based on japanese i mean marginal let's let's be honest the two creators of ninja turtles know nothing of japanese culture like yeah very being honest, i mean like their their whole like idea behind the concept of Ninja Turtles was we're going to parody Daredevil. And, you know, obviously by parodying Daredevil, you're, you're getting an even more limited scope of what the original, uh, you know, concept was for Daredevil mm -hmm. as far as where our Japanese influences are concerned. I don't know. I think this is a great Splatfest. I think this is a really cool idea. It's three weeks worth of Splatfest. This is three weeks of Splatfest. That's, mm -hmm. that's a lot of Splatfest. Yeah, like, yeah, I like considering that. Considering that we usually get one a month, and we're gonna yeah. have three one month, that's that's awesome. And but I'm not complaining. I need to catch up in Splatfest, like getting my sea snail grind on. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So, so I've always felt that um, Splatfest one a month is not enough. Mm -hmm. So I've always wanted it to be every other week. So having something like this more consecutive and more frequently is uh, a very welcome thing to me. One well, thing I mean, the theme of this one is so good that you're not even going to want to miss one because honestly you're going to want to you're going to want to rip at least two of these turtles mm -hmm. yeah and then, oh, for sure. gonna come, and then it's going to come down to a, a pretty hard choice if both mm -hmm. the teams that you like win yeah so, so team so for me if team raph and then team donnie win and then they're going head to head i'm going to have a really hard choice <laughs> i would pick donatello so uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna out myself here i'm okay. I, i'm going um team arena all the way 
I'm, I'm just, you know. <laughs> so you're not picking turtle. You're picking, picking idol. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm picking waifu. That's how I, that's how I roll with Splatoon. No, not all the time. But so this I, time I, I will. That's going to be uh, obviously Team Leo and I think Donatello or Mikey. It might be Mikey. Yeah. I feel like Marina's going to be Mikey. Lame. No, I'm going by Turtle. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> going by Turtle. No, okay, so that's the U.S. Splatfest, and that's really cool. But for, you know, the Japanese consumers, they will have to play with Sanrio uh, San characters, characters yes. which includes mm-hmm. uh, obviously Hello Kitty. Hello Kitty, which is obviously a brand that is transcendent, you know, as far as how big it is. That that does not solely appeal to Jap- the Japanese market. That is a pretty global uh, brand. So I am assuming that there's a contingency of female Splatoon players here in the U.S. and Europe who are considerably upset by the fact that Hello Kitty is going to be pretty much exclusive to Japan. Japan. Yeah, that is a bit disappointing. I mean, that's that's another one of those things. Going back to the, to the point of, I would love to see how they decide which regions get which. That one to me, Sanrio, seems like it would be a shoe in for for global. Now, ha- might just come down to servers for whether or not they can accommodate. You know, making a Splatfest this large. <laughs> there are a lot more copies of Splatoon two out in the world than there were a Splatoon 1. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on today's show. But the Splatoon 2 community is bigger than Splatoon 1 community. Maybe Splatoon 1 could have accommodated a worldwide Splatfest. And I think it did. I think hmm. when we had a Splatfest, it was a Splatfest. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. The last Splatfest, the very last Splatfest was a global Splatfest. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the Cali versus Marie. Marie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, by that point, you know, the game had been two years old, or, and it was time to just say, hey, let's just go ahead and do one last blowout for Splatfest, and we'll make it global. You know, the community is not getting bigger for this particular iteration of the game, so we can we know how many users have this game, and how, we know how many people actively participate in Splatfest. We can, our servers can accommodate this. This mm-hmm. is a little bit different. So maybe... You know, the servers can accommodate, you know, the European uh, contingency and the American contingency. But once you start adding, like, the 4 million Japanese players that own Splatoon uh, to, then that server space is really crowded. Although, I I mean, when, when stuff like this happens, it makes me wonder about what the discrepancy of play is, you know, globally. Like, when, when they, you know, segment us from playing with the Japanese players, uh we don't i feel like we can't necessarily gauge you know our you know our strengths versus their strengths on a consistent basis yeah no so that's a pretty cool those two splatfest things i actually think are are pretty cool i i mean obviously i have a preference towards the ninja turtles than i do the sanrio i'm not a you know prepubescent girl so i'm not going to want the sanrio characters i'm pretty (laughs) sure i'm a pretty sure i'm a 34 year old man one last thing about splatfest well, what we've been saying like, towards the end of Splatfest, you know, I think this year, or not this year, but, well, is it this year? I don't know. When the two-year mark passes for Splatoon 2, and we will be done receiving the free updates, whatever, I think we will, unfortunately, stop seeing Splatfests. But well, I don't no, know. They, we're going to have Splatfest for two years. That's <laughs> a long time. And we're, and we're going to have one year of free content updates, which, okay. come July, we will... It's over. So I assume this next... Which I believe okay. the... Uh, 
Octo expansion will pretty much uh, okay. be the last okay. content update we get. You know, and obviously that's paid for content. But yeah, I don't think yeah. we're gonna get any more additional content after okay. the Octo expansion, and and that's fine. That's a whole year's worth of support for the game, okay. and that's pretty good. But they did say we would have Splatfest for, uh, two, years. for two years. So okay. So next July, I assume, will be the last year of Splatfest, and obviously, I'm pretty sure they'll cap that off with a global Splatfest Pearl versus Marina. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that too. But I hope, I really do hope that we get more Splatfest, even if it's like repeats of the old ones, you maybe get like the other Japanese themes over here, like they can mix and match. I hope that they just like recycle them somehow. It would, would be, be nice ideal. to do. Like they just have them on a calendar. So if we got this one on this date this year, next year we get the same one. Yeah. I would hope we get that at least. Because like that would be nice. It would be nice for people coming in after the two years not being able to grind sneeze snails as much. Etc. as well as it keeps the community playing, keeps them alive, and it is repeats. It's fun. As well as we get right. repeats of Shifty Station as well, which would be nice. Yeah, I feel like they just need to make Shifty Station like permanent, a permanent stage once you know they finish with the Splatfest worlds. Either that, or they better have announced Splatoon 3 by the time or or be, you know, we have to be ready for Splatoon 3 by the time this Splatfest ends. Yeah. But I think we should go ahead. We'll move on to the next uh, story for this uh, bi-weekly period. Mm -hmm. uh, Nintendo's released their E3 schedule. So we know what Nintendo's E3 is going to look like. So starting on July 12th, we will have the Splatoon 2 World Championships that will be from 3.30 p.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific time. So 6.30 p.m. through uh, 9 here mm -hmm. in the East Coast. Uh, in the morning of July 12th, they're going to have their video presentation. Uh, this is where we're going to find out what games are coming out for the remainder of the year. So this is going to be a more low-key presentation. Uh, they did say it's going to be about roughly half an hour long again. But not knowing you know, what what's coming out in 2019 is a little disheartening. Uh, I mean, last E3, you guys kind of like bombarded us with like a Metroid Prime 4 teaser with no date attached to it. So that's kind of a bummer. Uh, aside from that, we're going to have Treehouse Live that's going to start directly after the uh, video presentation. And then after the Treehouse Live, or after the Splatoon 2 uh, uh, championship, we're going to have the Super Smash Brothers Invitational for 2018. Uh, and that's going to showcase whatever Smash for Switch is. We're going to find out whether this is a new game or if it, this is a port. And apparently Smash is going to be their central focus on the presentation as well. So we're going to see a lot of Smash. And we've also, if you guys have been paying attention, Nintendo's shore floor uh, space has leaked. They're going to have two big rooms again this year. So mm -hmm. we're going to find out what they're what else they're going to bring. Uh, we're going to do our prediction episode closer to E3, and obviously we'll have a post-E3 show. But uh, this is a lot smaller scale of an E3 for Nintendo. Like, one day of Treehouse Live versus, you know, multiple days. I feel like Nintendo's scaling back from E3 this year, and that's a little... Like, this is, you know, this is a trend. Nintendo has been scaling away from E3 since the inception of Nintendo Direct. Mm -hmm. What are you guys' thoughts on this? So, real quick, though, um, I'm looking at this, and it says that there are three days of uh, Treehouse for uh, Switch gameplay, 
with Treehouse members and developers. Okay, so what I'm looking at is incomplete then. Yeah, that, at least that's what I'm looking at right now on Nintendo Wire. Um, but anyway, um, back to topic. Um, uh, I, I guess we'll figure out once that happens. But anyway, uh, I don't think it's any surprise that it's Smash, uh, that that is going to be focused around Smash, because that was... I mean, we knew they were going to be focusing on that once they announced it, what, one or two months ago. I was so. hoping they'd announce it or dr- focus it on Captain Toad's Treasure Track report, but oh well. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I was really anticipating them to be focusing on Metroid Prime Four, despite yeah. what. Yeah, not that's what I, I really thought they to focus on. I thought they were going to build like, uh, you know, SR gunship or yeah, yeah, or something. Mm-hmm. I thought they were going to build all of E three around uh, Metroid Prime Four with a yeah. 2019 release date. You know. But at least they would have like a playable build at E3. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what I had assumed going in, uh, just based on last year's E3, uh, because yeah. they always want to bring their biggest game. I think it's kind of, as awesome as Smash is. I am frightened that Smash is potentially their biggest game of uh, 2018. Yeah, you know I don't know about that. 30 minutes for a for a E3 presentation is is pretty long. Um, I mean, when you think about some of the 30-minute directs they've had, they've really unloaded a, a crap ton of stuff on us. Yeah. So I think we'll be surprised. Um, Nintendo has, excuse me, a very good track record of of surprising the fan base. And I so. and I think, um, I'm hoping that they pull out all the stops as well. And let's not forget that when it comes to Treehouse, they have in the past sometimes announced new games in the Treehouse under the radar so that's yes, also so. a possibility i think that's a trend they're going to keep continue to doing but do it a lot more so yeah. i think they're going to have your front runners all in the big line but we're going to get even more announcements in treehouse live than we did last year as well i think yeah just, they're tr- slowly trying to get us to see um they're going to ease us into it but eventually we should start assuming that like okay we're gonna get like three games in the e3 direct presentation whatever yeah. And everything else is going to be over the course of the next couple of days in Treehouse Live, and that's what we really need to focus on. Which, um, which kind yeah. of makes sense because uh, I, with the Switch being the indie platform, fantastic piece of hardware that it is, I think they're going to use the Treehouse to showcase those indie games. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know how how I feel about that because I do like some of the indie titles, like Darkest Dungeon, for example, but. Um, I assume that the big direct presentation is going to be for the big first party Nintendo sort of um, power titles. I think it should go first party titles go in the big direct for E3. Then Trios Live does a bit of third party stuff as well as some smaller first party titles. And then Indies should stick with the Nindy Spotlight stuff. Maybe have our own section at the end of Treehouse Lives for Nindies, but it should be sort of separate. I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll see what they bring, man. I'm I'm hoping I for think... a, a couple of things. I'm I'm hoping for them to be showcasing some new amiibos mm-hmm. during the Treehouse Live. You know what I would really like at during Treehouse Live this year? I want Nintendo to do a comprehensive showcasing of their booths. We we typically see them, you know, in between segments, you know, like the commercial breaks, they pan yeah, out. You know, yeah. They pan out. I would love to for them to do a a floor walkthrough. Mm-hmm. We, we've all seen we've all seen what Nintendo does at E3. They build they Massive build set. exactly. I mean, other they companies bring you know you know 
other companies bring like massive statues mm-hmm. and you know they build like a little small stuff here and there. Yeah, they build Nintendo they build this, the this stuff, but what Nintendo does they 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 bring you into their, you know, a brief part of their world, mm-hmm. which is not not unlike what we uh, anticipate them doing at Universal Studios but on a much mm-hmm. larger scale. Uh like Nintendo creates like mini paradises. I would like them to see them just do a comprehensive walkthrough because what they did last year with New Donk City and the mm-hmm. year before with the you know Hyrule that was phenomenal. Like, the, like they have to do so much more. Yeah, so this is one of the reasons the showcase. why I love Nintendo because Nintendo isn't just about games; it's about an experience. And you mm-hmm. see that statement, that mission statement, present in nearly everything that they do. And so that's that's and it, and it shows in the E3 the the way they build everything because they're not just there to show off their game; they're there to take you by the hand and say, "Come here." Let me show you the Nintendo experience. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And one word that I always associate with that experience is fun. They do a great job making things that are fun. You can, you can make a game that's cool and interesting, but not fun, and it's going to fall flat on its face. Games are meant to be fun. Um, going back to the Splatoon, um, Splatoon 2 International like, Tournament uh, Championships, uh, so we have, I believe, only the first two winners for, I believe, Nintendo of Europe and the U.S. representatives. Uh, we have Polly Manga for Europe, who will be rep- representing Europe um, in this tournament, as well as Set to Destroy X will be representing uh, the U.S. for their tournament. Um, and it's really interesting who sees the Japanese reps and all the other reps you're going to get. But um, I'm really excited to see that tournament. I think if we are getting more content other than the Octo expansion, we'll probably get it announced during that tournament, probably. Um, as well as the only other thing I think we'd ever see is... Um, like, we're not getting a Nintendo World Championship at E3 this year. We might get another one, but we are getting the Smash Direct or Smash Tournament Invitational. And I think we might see some kind of announcements for that. Like, they might, you know, we might see a whole new newcomer trailer during that. But the newcomer's for a brand new IP, and that brand new IP isn't announced until the Smash Direct or Smash Invitational. I, I, I think it's safe to say that ARMS, ARMS will, come, you know, take over that new that new character reveal spot. Mm, I'm not too sure. I feel like Sakurai is going to wait and see with arms, similar to how he did with Inklings. You know, Inklings, everyone wanted them, but he Splatoon was so new of a series, he didn't want to risk it at the time. I think but arms, arms is be such a, a natural level. transition. Arms, it is. It is. Arms right. is a much better transition. Uh, coming up with a moveset for arms characters, Yeah. Is, no matter which characters you pick, those characters have, their movesets are already established. With, yeah. with Inklings, it's like, yeah, how are we going to do this? Are you gonna throw splash bombs? Are you gonna, you know, just splatter shot rollers? How do you grab? You know, yeah, stuff like exactly. That. Like with with Splatoon, that's a harder translation. Yeah. With arms, it's mm-hmm. it's already a fighting game. Like yeah. just coming up with, yeah, all you're doing is just you know mapping them to be smashable. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, if people can make, if fans can make a move sets for both Trek and Goku, I'm okay. sure they can figure it out. But my point is just that I think we're going to see some kind of announcements in the tournaments themselves. And if we are getting another um, Nintendo World Championship sometime later, I think we expect some announcements to be there as well. Um, similar to how we did with the first one after the 25 years. Like, we got Blast Ball as a game and stuff like that, which was interesting to see. Not for... Because they didn't announce them as they were... We saw them played in, in the tournament, and that was really interesting. I don't know. 
I'm glad you know, if they're gonna do another world championship, I assume that they're gonna do it uh around the same time frame that they did last year. Uh mm-hmm. when we had it around October. Yeah. We had it, it was uh, October of last year, so I wouldn't be surprised if they do have another one and mm-hmm. it's a lot closer to E3 than you know you know than we think it is. Uh yeah. but as always, we're gonna have some pretty comprehensive E3 coverage. I'll be doing a live reaction to their their video presentation and then we will be recording a you know a post e3 reaction show that week as well so we're gonna have comprehensive e3 coverage so you guys can look forward to that but i think mm-hmm. it's time to move on to our next uh, uh new story and that is nintendo has partnered with side games to bring new mobile new games to mobile devices uh so they've already announced their first game and that game is going to be called dragalia lost so this idea. is interesting. This is interesting because now Nintendo has decided that they that mobile is a viable, you know, source of income for them. Uh, I think Fire Emblem uh, is the game that really pushed them into wanting to make more uh, apps for mobile devices. And obviously, we've it was announced uh, back in February that Mario Kart Tour is coming out. We still have no word on what Mario Kart Tour is. We know it's coming. And it looks like Nintendo has a, a brand new dedication to mobile. Um, I want to start with who Side Games is. So Side Games is a Japanese uh, video game studio uh, that pretty much only makes mobile games. Uh, in 2012, DNA, we should all know who DNA is by now. Mm-hmm. They are obviously the company that Nintendo partnered with to make all of their mobile apps thus far mm-hmm. from Mitomo all the way up to uh, Animal Crossing. DNA purchased 24% of that company, uh, which ultimately means uh, by Nintendo working with Sidegame, it is an extension of them working with DNA. Mm-hmm. So uh, Dragalia Lost is going to be a cross-developed game between Nintendo, DNA, and uh, Sidegames. So mm-hmm. this is going to be, hopefully this is going to take the best aspects of all three companies to make a really phenomenal uh, mobile game. And looking at the key art uh, that was released for this game, I like it. It's it's very anime, but it doesn't mm-hmm. look like Fire Emblem. It, it has its own unique art style, and I kind of like it. We don't know very much. Or we, we don't know anything about the game as of yet. All we have is the key art, but this is coming. And I like this. I like the fact that Nintendo uh, is extending their deal with DNA, and even going, you know, as far as to work with, you know, a DNA business partner in order to continue their mobile efforts. This means that the DNA development team isn't as isn't spread as thin as they are before, mm-hmm. because obviously they went from Mitomo uh, to Super Mario Run to Fire Emblem to Animal Crossing in the course of two years. That's that's mm-hmm. four four games or four apps that Nintendo in four years. Yeah, or yeah. two years, they, two years, two yeah. years, four apps in two years, and I think that's pretty high development output, you know, yeah. for a mobile, you know, development mm-hmm. game. And yeah. considering that all these game, all these apps have support post-launch, you know, the fact that they're all getting supported, you know, fairly well, that that that's really good in the long run. And I, I just appreciate the fact that Nintendo is taking this even further. Mm-hmm. 
So what are you guys' thoughts? So uh, Psy Games is a company I'm very familiar with. I play most of their, well, a couple of their games. You play uh, Grand the top, Blue Fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah. Grand Blue Fantasy is one of the ones that they're best known for now. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, because it's one of the top grossing uh, mobile games in Japan. It hasn't been released outside of Japan, so mm-hmm. it's not something most Americans are probably um, familiar with. But there are ways to get it on your phone and to play it in English. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's cool. Uh, but they also do titles like Rage of Bahamut. That yes. was a title mm-hmm. that didn't have a global release that many people are, are familiar with. And then there's mm-hmm. another one. Um, I'm Shadows of something or other. I'm blanking on the title right now. Um, um, apparently, I was looking through their stuff earlier. They have a Tiger and Bunny game. Which like yeah, I'm yeah. looking at that right now. Yeah. They they have a lot of anime games. Like this? Yeah, that's See, I didn't realize yeah. that they were the company that made Grand Blue uh, Fantasy, and I've, yeah. I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of that game, but I've actually never uh, played it. Uh, and it it does look interesting, and I have this like habit of watching uh, Japanese commercials on YouTube, and mm-hmm. this game gets a lot of advertisement in Japan, like a lot. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's because it's what it's been one of the top grossing games mm-hmm. for like four years it's yeah. or no it's only been like three years old so but no, yeah it came oh. out march 2014 oh yeah we're 2018 now ha i knew that uh but yeah no it's been top grossing for a very long time and um so side games has a really really good track record of making games that are successful and they're also mm-hmm. have a really good track record of of being a good uh, of having a good um a gotcha system in 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 their in their games um they're pretty generous as far as having giving out free stuff to their player base to keep them coming back and they they have like grand blue fantasy for example has consistent events when one event ends it's no less no less than like one or two days downtime before the next one begins so they've got a really really good team and in my experience with mobile games their team is better than dna in my opinion dna is big um, they've got different teams. DNA China, I'm not a huge fan of. Um, so, uh, Psy Games is a really good choice for Nintendo to work with. Well, and, and it looks like they, they have a lot of experience in working with uh, other companies' IP. So, obviously, mm-hmm. they've, they've worked they've with... Uh, Dragon Quest, Disney. Saga, mm-hmm. uh, yep. Tiger and Bunny. Yep. Uh, obviously, said Dragon Quest. Yep. Uh, Knights Dragon of Glory, Quest, Disney. Disney. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're no stranger to working on, on other companies' IP, yep. which makes me think that this might be the team that they needed to develop the Legend of Zelda on mobile. Probably, and maybe Dragaria Lost is like a. Uh, we'll let you work on this game if after this game you work on the Legend of Zelda for us. Nintendo likes to do that kind of thing with other companies. Like we'll let you make this game, but after yeah. we're you have to make this game for us. That makes sense. Um, but I'd say the key standout titles from them are obviously um. So the shadow game you were talking about, I believe, is Shadowverse, which did yes, that worldwide one. release. Um, Grand Blue Fantasy and um the Rage of Bahamut, and yeah, other than that, like ones. the big like crossovers such as Disney Fantasy Quest, Dragon Quest, um, Monsters and Tiger and Bunny, etc. Um, and then obviously we're now getting the um, uh, I'm blanking on the name. The one Nintendo's making. Oh my god, Dragalia Lost. Um, and in terms of that, I think it's definitely going to be interesting. Um, I almost wonder if it's kind of card game uh, because they do have a big history of the card games being successful with Rage of Bahamut and Shadowverse, two of the bigger ones um, being card games. Well, um, the official synopsis for the game is as follows. Uh, 
it will be an uh, an original action RPG application. Okay. So think Kingdom Hearts, uh, okay. you know, Xenoverse gameplay. Uh, right, because I would assume if it's going to be like that, it has to work from a top-down perspective. I don't. Uh, although, I mean, mobile phones are getting to the point where we could have like a third, you know, a third-person like view. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would prefer. A, I'm, I'm just looking at the art style for this game. This this has, this looks like it could break down traditional sprite art so fantastically. I what I'm seeing that. art style. That's what I was going to get, get to next. Was um, they lost Dragalia lost. Sorry. Um, looks to me like the sort of character design similar to Octopath Traveler or um, uh, Bravely Default, but slightly obviously stylized very differently. But in terms of like character design, they give me that sort of vibe, um, which I think definitely will fit sprites very well. And I think I'm I'm really loving the art style that Screen Enix is putting out for those games, um, with Octopath Traveler and Pivot Default. Their art styles for that are really, really nice. So I'm looking forward to what we have in terms of the graphics for this game, definitely. Well, and, I, and you know, this this uh, company also has a history of releasing games on console, typically the PS4 and the PlayStation Vita. Okay. It would be interesting to see them work on the Nintendo Switch as well. I mean, that's something DNA has yet to really accomplish throughout their partnership with Nintendo is actually make something for the console. But with with uh, side games, they have a history of developing four consoles. I would like to... S- I- I'm still waiting for that one mobile game that can bridge the gap between Nintendo's mobile and home console games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dragalia Lost as far as the All-Star is concerned, I honestly think that this game could be on the Switch. And mm-hmm. I would love to see, you know, a mobile developer really attempt their hands at a more traditional style console game. And I think uh, I think Side Games has the chops to pull this off. And I think with Nintendo's financial backing, that could be huge. So, so real quick, though, uh, you did mention the art. And um, Side Games has a habit of working with... Um, an artist, art director called uh, named uh, Minaba Hideo, mm-hmm. um, and many people know him for Final Fantasy Tactics. He worked in a lot oh. of the Final Fantasy series, okay. and so that's where you get um, that very distinctive art style. Got and it. so I don't know if he's going to be working on this latest title. Um, but we see some influences, nonetheless, maybe from their previous works. Exactly. Got it. So um, they, as a company, they have a habit of, of working with him and um, getting a lot of his influences from, from there. Yeah. Got it. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's what we have to talk about with that. We have a new partner with Nintendo's Noble World, as well as we have a new game with Dragalia Lost. You can see some big changes with that. They're embracing the mobile space finally. Um, but moving on, right? Uh, moving on. What do Looks we have next like... on the list? The Game Vice. Mm-hmm. The Game Vice complaint against Nintendo for patent infringement. Now, we've <sighs> talked about this before, right? A couple months back. Yeah. Actually, this, we talked about this on your debut episode, so I okay. thought it would be poignant to talk about it again. Okay. Uh, now that there's a little bit more information about this. is So, yesterday, or mm-hmm. the, the news broke yesterday. There were two the, the day before yesterday and then yesterday. There were two stories. Uh, the first one being that Game Vice had filed a complaint with the International Trade Commission or the ITC, uh, which basically uh, 
they are the global watchdog uh, as far as patent and copyright infringement are concerned. So this isn't because the Nintendo Switch is being sold globally. If this is something bigger than you know the FTC's you know scope, yeah. So they they have to obviously reach out to the ITC and then have them investigate whether or not this was truly patent infringement because obviously Japan has their own patent office, America has their own patent office, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously this comes back to that original complaint that uh that Game Vice had talking about uh, that Nintendo fringed upon their concept. And initially I think we were all pretty skeptical as to whether or not this would get off the ground, but I mean, as of yesterday, uh, the government, the U.S. government, is actually going to be investigating these claims against Nintendo. So it now looks like there is traction in favor of Game Vice with at least open investigations. Yeah. Uh, they filed their complaint on a Wednesday and uh, with the ITC, and as of yesterday, the U.S. Uh, commission will be investigating. So. This is moving around along a lot faster than I initially thought it would. I anticipated this taking years. Uh, yeah. No, they've got the, this. They filed their complaint initially in August. Mm-hmm. They sent their first cease and desist and filed their their first complaint with the FTC in August, and we are only in April, and yeah. we're already starting to see traction uh, mm-hmm. for things going in their favor. Although this could have been Nintendo's. Uh, asking for this to be expedited, Nintendo could have actively said, "Yeah, please, let's get the let's get this rolling, let's get let's get the you know let's get this going, and go ahead investigate us, and you will see that we did not infringe upon uh, you know Game Vice's patents." Mm-hmm. We already talked about uh, the differences between the two concepts. They're, I mean, they are very different. Like uh, the Game Vice unit. Is they don't work autonomously, autonomously no. like like the Joy Cons do. Uh, so there's a different precedent, and we already we already knew that the Nintendo Switch's infrastructure is built around the Nvidia Shield. Mm-hmm. Like, if anything, this is Nintendo's partnership with Nvidia coming to play in a much more marketable device. Uh, yeah. That being said, though, it Game Vice got the ball rolling, and things are happening, and. We're going to find out what happens, but uh, anybody have any particular thoughts on this? I still feel like we are looking at the wrong person. As you've already said, it is NVIDIA's technology, etc., that we think would be the bigger target. I, I don't know. The real, reason, the real infringer here is more NVIDIA, I guess. And I feel like it is kind of just – you're just poking – you just want the publicity. I think it's still their main goal. I think they'll take what they can from Nintendo's money, but they mostly still want the publicity. I don't yeah, know. I agree. I mean, it wouldn't be the again we talked about it last time, but it's not the first time that a company has gone off after Nintendo to try and um, cash in on their success. And yeah. I really don't think that's uh, this is a different case. Uh, it's funny. I remember when the news broke, uh, you saw people linking it in you know in the Facebook pages, etc., and the one comment that always kept coming up was how asinine this is because the game vice isn't even supported anymore. Like you can't buy it. Yeah, it's it's not a product, and they're trying to pull this crap. I mean, well, it would the be reason shocking. they didn't go after Nvidia is because the Nvidia Shield didn't take off 
globally. Now in China, it's yeah. a big deal. It's a huge deal in China because you can buy GameCube games on the Nvidia Shield in China, which you cannot do in any other market globally. But it was not financially. They wouldn't make any money by suing Nvidia, uh, yeah. but they can make money suing Nintendo. That's why initially I I didn't see any merit to this lawsuit. Okay, but yeah, now, that makes sense. You know, I mean, yeah. I'd be shocked if it actually went anywhere, but American courts are really weird, and it wouldn't be the first time that an American court has ruled, has made a stupid ruling. Yeah. So, um, uh, I'm really hoping that Nintendo comes out of this, you know, scot free. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll see. It's, it's, yeah. I really think Game Bites is in the wrong here, but the, yeah. it's, it's hard for me to say without honest, any real information. I, I honestly think the bigger concern here is the fact that now that is that the ITC has also agreed to look into the matter as well. Now, with the International Trade Commission looking into this, if they find Nintendo at fault, obviously two things could happen. Mm -hmm. Nintendo could appeal, settle, mm -hmm. or appeal. But if Game Vice happens to win, they effectively could kill the Switch. Yeah, well, they could force the switch to not, you know, be made, and obviously, yeah. Nintendo's not going to do that, so they're going to end up paying royalties, uh, you know, out the wazoo to Game Bytes. Now, I, I still think this is a BS lawsuit, but now there, there's traction happening. That like Game Bytes got what they wanted mm -hmm. in the most sleazy way possible. Like it, it's yeah. a sleazeball lawsuit, and. I mean, we're talking about it, so it is definitely big news. I mean, yeah. But uh, it, it, it's an interesting case, and yeah, we know that Nintendo has never been scared to go to court over infringement issues. They've been doing it since the NES, and it doesn't appear like it's going to stop anytime soon. Just whenever Nintendo announces a console, be prepared for lawsuits. That's that's all we should. That's know. the rule that's of thumb. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. This doesn't happen with Microsoft and Xbox uh, and, uh, and and uh, and Sony, like they, they release consoles all the time too. <laughs> it just does, doesn't happen. It, like people specifically go after Nintendo all the time. It, I, I guess it's because out of the three companies, I guess Nintendo's sole uh, status is as a console Gimmick. and and game manufacturer. Mm, so okay. I guess it's easier than you know taking on like global powerhouses like Sony, who has a much TV has, you know, they're a much bigger company, bigger yeah. company than Nintendo. Yeah, because they have Microsoft even bigger than Sony. So yeah, because whereas Nintendo is just video games entirely, Sony's TV, speakers, headphones, devices, um, a little bit of computers. You know, although financially, Nintendo sits in a much better place than Sony does. True. Yeah. So it's weird. It's like, you know. yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I mean that. I think, I think that's huge news. I think yeah. that's huge news. And really it's a little worrying to see where this is going. Yeah, I'm not so worried about it because even if, in the off chance that um, that Game Vice could actually win this lawsuit, mm -hmm. I I don't think there's any way they could actually stop the Nintendo Switch at this point. I think we're too far along in the Switch's life lifespan, and it is far too successful. Uh, for them to stop, I think Nintendo will pay whatever royalty they have to. And I mean, 
if it yeah, really, it if, sucks, if, if the courts do see this as patent infringement, though, I mean, hardware sales are what's going to take a hit. Are you know they're going to have to give out money on the hardware, hardware but not the software. Exactly. Yeah. Because you know, GameVice didn't have software of its own mm-hmm. to speak. Of. So as as a we already said Nintendo's hardware and software in video games. So their hardware won't be as nice, but they can still make money on the software. Like a lot of game companies, just Microsoft and Sony, like they sold their consoles for less than they were worth just to get the Nintendo did it with the 3DS as well. Um, they sell the consoles for less than it's worth in order to just make profit off the games. And I think it's that's the razor you, blade model. It's the razor yeah. blade model. You you give away, you know, the, the handle cheap and the mm-hmm. blades are where you make up your money. Mm-hmm. Nintendo turns a profit on games and consoles. Yeah. I think the only time they sold a console for a loss was the 3DS. The Wii U. The Wii U. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, Wii U. Yeah. Yeah, the Wii U, for sure. But, I mean, uh, it is what it is. Well, we're, we're yeah. going to see where this goes. I mean, now that the ball's rolling, this is probably a story we'll be talking about a lot going forward for the next couple of years because yeah. that. Even though they got the ball rolling, this is still going to it's be years in the before we get any kind of settlement for this. At minimum, uh, yeah. four or five. Yeah, the Switch I mean, will probably be replaced with a new iteration of itself by the time this is settled. Mm-hmm. I mean, how long did it take for the, the Wii remote one to settle? Like five years or something? Yeah. It was way after. The... I think that one just got settled like last year. Yeah, yeah like very recently. It took many, many years. So I mean, uh, we're on three, three consoles later. Yeah, not kidding. Yeah. So well, what I would have hoped was that we would be in a similar situation where we just keep them in limbo, legal limbo. But now that the ball was rolling, we don't have that kind of time to sort of have our own system. So the problem with legal limbo is it costs money. Yeah, true. So, you, you, I mean, either way, they're burning money at this point. Um, uh, so I sure they have people internally to do risk assessment and okay. figure out what's our best play at this moment. You sure. see, but I feel like in this case. It's a lot more financially stable for Nintendo to play the legal limbo game with a company like GameVice. Mm-hmm. GameVice was such a str- uh, you know, it was such a fantastic failure mm-hmm. that yeah. as a that I think Nintendo won't have to wait that long to outlast a company like no. GameVice. I think I think, I think so. they can financially bankrupt them within a year. Yeah, so I would have figured, yeah, yeah. The ball's rolling. We'll see where this goes. I, Like I said, I, I think this is a story we're going to be sticking with for a while. We'll we'll have updates as they come. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's it for the uh, the power of news. news. Lots of A uh, lot more news than we typically cover, but there was a yeah. lot more stuff to talk about. So what we're going to do real quick, we're going to take a five-minute commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to go hit up our topic of the Fortnite, which is all the major shakeups that happen at Nintendo's financial uh, briefing. So we'll be right back and don't go anywhere, guys.
welcome back to the Nintendo Power Zone. We are a video cast podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo-related topics. And it's time to go ahead and get into the newest topic that we have for this bi-weekly period. And we're going to be talking about Nintendo's latest financial briefing. So there was a whole lot to unravel from that. And I am super excited to talk about a lot of this information. So I think we're going to start with hardware sales because Nintendo posted some really nice financial gains in terms of what they sold hardware-wise. So starting with the Nintendo 3DS, they have sold 72.53 million units to date, which is a crap ton of Mm -hmm. 3DS units, especially considering how much the 3DS struggled out of the gate. It might not do Nintendo DS numbers as far as how massive the DS was, but this is a success nonetheless. They are definitely doing great things with the Nintendo 3DS uh, over the course of its lifespan. So I think that's fantastic news. As far as the Wii U is concerned, uh, even though that console is essentially retired, they have sold 13.56 million units. Uh, they have sold 102.1 million units of software for the Wii U, which that's a, that's a pretty good amount of gains considering how small the install base was. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the 3DS, they have sold 364.89 million units of software, which, I mean, look at look at that. They completely dwarf the, uh, the software sales of the Wii U, mm-hmm. but the install base is far larger. I mean, that yeah. being said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's far larger. Uh but the you know the biggest shocker of them all was the Nintendo Switch. They sold 17.79 million units of the Switch with a 68.97 million units of software sold. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. They outsold the Wii U in a year. Yeah. By a by a good margin. That's you know that yeah. Over 4 million like, units. Like one year versus an entire console's lifetime, pretty much. Yeah, considering the Wii U had a short console lifetime, it was mm-hmm. you know roughly five years. Uh, that's crazy. That's mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, I, I think it can be... It goes without saying that the Wii U was a failure console for mm-hmm. Nintendo. I, that was a failure for consoles yeah. in general. Like, it's but the Nintendo Switch has rectified that. In a lot of ways. There's yeah, and very the, little consoles that are as unsuccessful as the Wii U. And it looks like the Nintendo Switch has completely rectified uh, Nintendo's image as a console maker. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are really good numbers for yeah. for the first year. Like I, this is this surpasses their expectations. Now I know mm-hmm. a lot of uh, you know third parties were predicting 20 million units. That that was a little excessive. Like, like yeah, being honest. Big. Considering that Nintendo had to win back people for after like the Wii 20, U, yeah, twenty million units—that—that's kind of pipe dream. Yeah, uh, Nintendo themselves only predicted fifteen million units in yeah. a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Honestly, it's 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 really impressive that they managed to produce enough for the demand. Yeah, considering especially how high the, the demand was. Because mm-hmm. usually, when because usually when when you're trying to uh, predict when you're when you're pushing out consoles right when you're making them you you make a set number uh based off of sales estimates because uh, you don't want to you know end up producing too many and then not selling through them all 
And so it's, it's impressive that they were able to keep churning out systems after mm -hmm. they realized it was a hit. Because I don't think yeah, they... Yeah, that's what happened with the Wii U. They made more consoles than there was demand for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You lose money that way. So it's a very uh, tentative balance. Yeah. Unfortunately. No, but this, this is really good. I mean, Nintendo... Nintendo had to build people back up. They people mm -hmm. stopped Lost trusting. Trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they stopped Lost trusting trust. Nintendo after the Wii U, and to see them sell seventeen point seven nine million units in a year, that's you know after the you know after watching their previous console just completely get you know shit bashed left and right, that that's phenomenal. That is phenomenal, and the attach rate, the software mm -hmm. attach rate. Is really good. Sixty-eight point nine seven million units. So mm -hmm. let's talk about you know that number real quick because we have the breakdown for that number. We'll go ahead. We'll start from the lowest selling to the highest. Uh, Kirby Star Allies, which came out last month, mm -hmm. has already sold one point two six million units. That's a that's lot impressive. for a Kirby game, mm -hmm. especially in, in the first month. That's that's really impressive. Yeah, that that game is going to continue to sell Kirby games. You know, they, they're kind of evergreen. People continue yeah. to buy those games. And typically a Kirby game doesn't come out this early in a console's lifespan. Mm -hmm. They come out near yeah. the end when the console's fading. I, you know, has Look at the 3DS has like five Kirby games in the last like two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially since it's a main style Kirby game. It, yeah. it plays like the traditional ones. Usually Some... if you see a Kirby game early on, it's an it's like Yeah, like, like Rainbow yeah. Curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Canvas Curse, Rainbow Curse. Um, right. what the fighters? Um, Air, Air Ride. Ride. Yeah, mm -hmm. Air Ride is fantastic. They do need to do another one, but yeah. um, but it's still not the traditional Kirby, nonetheless. Yes, yeah. that's my point. The traditional yeah. Kirby games are usually um mid. You, yeah. you don't see it within the first mm -hmm. year and a half. That's really no, interesting. Definitely not. All right. So the next game up is Xenoblade Chronicles 2 at 1.3 million units, making this the first Xenoblade game to crack a million units without having a re-release. Yeah. That's impressive for mm -hmm. Xenoblade. Uh, that's really impressive, especially since Xenoblade is kind of a – you have to be indoctrinated into the Xenoblade you know, type of game to want it. So it's actually really impressive that they sold that many copies of a game that's really alienating to a larger fan base. So that I think that's, like as much as I, I love those games, but I don't they don't have like uh, the same kind of appeal that like a more mainstream game like Zelda does. It's very niche that. JRPG. I'm gonna I'm gonna argue it's not as niche as people make it out to be. I feel like if you're an RPG fan, you can get into it. It's not as niche as people say. The big niche about it is that it gets released traditionally at very poor times, and so to see it very early in the Switch life cycle, along with giants such as Mario Odyssey and um and Breath of the Wild, is where you really start getting like the ability for everyone who could like it to really put eyes on, or they were putting eyes on X when X was on a really dying console from when it was born, it was dead. Well, I also um, think the release date factors into this a lot. It was mm -hmm. sold on, you know, the release on December, December 7th, right mm -hmm. in the, like right in the peak of holiday shopping. Yeah. So that means yeah, getting this game just to get this game. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's totally why I think it's so not as niche as niche as, as you make it out to be. 
it people are getting it to get it, but you don't not put eyes on it if you don't have some kind of interest in it as a series, whether it's from seeing Shulk and Smash Bros or whatever, you have a bit of interest in it. It's just that the series has previously not been able to be accessible, I guess is the word. You know, the first one on Wii wasn't too accessible. X was on a dying console. 3DS well, one was on 3DS, new 3DS exclusive, etc. I personally I mean, think the Xeno series as a whole, going back to Xeno uh, Gears, Gear, yeah. has been a pretty, like, they, they are always a little bit more ambitious than their yeah. audience is. Like, and they're not as, like, accessible as, like, a Kingdom Hearts yeah. or, you know, or a traditional Final Fantasy game. Yeah, or, I'll agree with that. I, I think that's what that. makes them more niche. Okay, I'll, I, I will still that. argue that it's very, that it's niche, and it's not okay. that because you have people who who divide in different camps, right? You got your yeah. people who don't like turn based RPGs, so that's they them. Like but then you and and you're not you're not really gonna get them. You're not gonna really get no. the the you're not gonna the get the Fire Emblem hand. players. Yeah, playing exactly. Xenoblade. Yeah, or but here's where you could get the Fire Emblem players. This is where a different group, the different camp that I'm talking mm-hmm. about. You got the people who like the Japanese weeabooey trophy crap, right? Which yeah. not, which works for people who are into that. But then there's the other people who are like I like RPGs, but I only like Bethesda style RPGs, mm-hmm. you know, Western yeah. RPGs, mm-hmm. and they're not going to go for the trophy sort of thing. And so when you got, I guess my point is try to bring it all together is when you got a title like Xenoblade, which it is incorporates. Part- Weeboo, it's incorporating yeah. the traditional action RPG where you don't have the turn-based, and it's very Western in its world design as well. Exactly. You're, okay. So this is where I'm going with its niche. But now, now here's my point where I, I'm, th- I'm thinking of uh, why it's gaining in popularity. I think there's a bit of a, a shift in the culture. I think mm-hmm. that the idea of waifuism uh, or husbandoism, mm-hmm. whatever, is starting to be a bit more like mainstream so now normies are kind of getting into wow normies are getting close to the uh (laughs) more into the idea of oh yeah anime waifu that's kind of funny ha ha so so normies are now into pyra is what you're telling me okay i mean have you seen her my point is i I think xenoblade um two has a lot of the shifting of the culture to uh to uh, attest to its success Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I could see that. Well, see that. It, might, it might just be the overall, you know, beauty of Xenoblade 2 just working in its favor. This is one of the – there are two games that I think specifically look like they were designed for the Nintendo Switch. Mario Odyssey and Xenoblade. These are the two games that I have seen thus far that are really showcasing what the hardware is capable of. And I think when people saw the Xenoblade trailer back in January – when it was still ugly, it still looked good. And obviously, the later trailers, you know, they, you know, there was a lot of re- uprising and showcasing what the game was actually going to look like. And the game just looks pretty in a way that Breath of the Wild can't, because Breath of the Wild is a Wii U game that got ported over. Um, I mean, in terms of Xenoblade some... prettiness and Wii U games getting ported over, I really still want a port of Xenoblade X that is high on my want list. Xenoblade Chronicles X port. That's the port I want. That and Marvel without all the censoring. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I agree with you, but yeah. uh, I, I'm hoping that the success of Xenoblade Two will will merit that. Well, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. Um, all right. We are getting off topic, correct? Yeah. Yep. So yeah. let's. Uh, 
yeah, let's bring it up. The next game on the list at 1.85 million units is Arms, which is a lot for a fighting game fighting and game. a new IP. This is yeah. a new IP fighting game, so it's already a niche game that is brand new. We've never seen these characters in anything else before this, and that's almost two million units. That's yeah. a lot. That's a larger install base than I would have thought that game would have got. That. Like and I, I really I'm happy for it because I love Arms. I think Arms is one of the most innovative fighting games I have played in recent years, and they did such a good job and you know of just making that game feel really good, and it's another success for it for them. Uh, this is honestly this is the Switch's version of Splatoon when Splatoon launched on the Wii U uh, back in 2015. This was that new IP that you know people didn't expect anything out of. And then it goes and it uh, it pulls numbers like this, and it and that's a, it's a global success. That's that's great news for Nintendo. Man, one two switch sold two point two nine million units. Now I know a lot of those were day one sales, mm-hmm. like, and probably you know holiday sales, and not very much in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, co- considering that they marketed this as like the Switch's version of Wii Sports, I love one two switch. Let me I I mm-hmm. I want to preface this. I love One Two Switch. It is the game that I consistently play with my family and friends at parties during hurricanes because I live in Florida. We have hurricanes; they're a thing here. Like this is a game that gets a lot of play in my household, but it's not a needle mover. It Mm-mm. it is. It doesn't sell systems normally. No, no. Like Zelda two, will sell systems. Yeah, One Two Switch. That is, no. a, that is a lot of units to be sold for this particular game. I'm I'm pretty shocked mm-hmm. by the amount of people who bought one two switch. Mm-hmm. Hey, but that's great news. That's great news for you know for the development staff that worked on this game. Mm-hmm. Now, totally. I could see them developing a sequel later down the road, but hopefully at a more affordable price point. I think the sixty dollar price point is too high for one two switch. I think I think so. That's what's that's what's keeping it from you know selling much higher. I think yeah, so. Agreed. It's definitely that price point. Yeah. Whereas, like, Nintendo Land was also a bundle-in, depending which model you got. Um, yeah. This should have been a pack-in, probably, I feel. Like, Wii Sports was a pack-in. Obviously, 1-2-Switch is a bit more ambitious than Wii Sports, but I feel like it was kind of a letdown that it didn't have a pack-in game. I don't know. Yeah, yeah my, I mean, my Wii U came with Nintendo Land, and I love exactly. the crap out of that game. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be honest here. I don't have 1-2-Switch, and it's because of the price point. I think it's a fun game. I don't know if it's a sixty dollar fun game. No, it's mm-hmm. like I said, it's it it doesn't. I play it a lot in my household when there's a reason to play it. So yeah. birthdays, you know, birthdays we we break it up. You know, yeah. get-togethers we break it up. Hurricane, obviously, there's not a lot to do, and you know, we didn't have internet, so mm-hmm. we broke out once to switch. But we that cartridge collects a lot of dust mm-hmm. uh, in between those times. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. All right, so there is a pretty significant jump as far as sales numbers are concerned with our next title. At 6.02 million uh, units, Splatoon 2, uh, it's sold 2 million more units than the first game did. Uh, the larger install base of the Nintendo Switch has really helped Splatoon out, and 4 million of those units are, you know, Japan alone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The Japan, the Japan numbers for Splatoon are incredible. It's like 4.2 something million just in Japan, and then the remaining uh, units are uh, globally, spread out globally. That's mm-hmm. a lot of units. That is a lot Definitely. of units, and that's 
fantastic for this franchise because you know this is only the second game uh in its in its history and that's pretty good so they're they're gradually selling more and more games and with the octo expansion coming out uh sometime later this year it's only feasible that this game starts to become a lot more attractive to people Mm -hmm. that's the problem with splatoon games though as good as they are they are going to be better deals later on like day Mm -hmm. one sales I can, I don't blame people for holding off on day one because just the game they're not they're not a hundred percent complete on day one. They're like it's like seventy five percent of a game. Yeah. Until like you know all the updates and whatnot roll out. So six point two million that's pretty damn good. But well, one of the things that I argue with that though is that you get you can get it day one and watch the game grow, which I feel like is actually worth something in in a sense. But it's like you're gonna see your review scores like rate it as like half of a game, which they did for part of Splatoon too. Um, there's a big camp whether it's a port or like deluxe or really whether it was a true sequel. You know, a lot of people were more towards it's a, a deluxe, but and now over a year not over a year but about a year in you know we're we're looking at it's definitely a sequel it's now the current verdict but you see that growth but as well as you have the splat fest you'd be missing out on as well as sea snail grinding and stuff like that i feel like you do sort of lose that if you if you don't come in early so i feel like it's definitely worth paying more to be early in a sense i don't know I, I definitely think the game is worth it. I just I just don't blame anybody who doesn't purchase it day one. Like I, I can see I can see the argument as to not. And to be fair, Splatoon 2 did score better than the first game from almost every reviewer. Yeah. But there was that lingering complaint that it's not complete and we know it's not complete. Like and that's always gonna hinder its early reviews. That's why any games that adopt the Splatoon format going forward should get a second review. A second review like, upon like you're in or whatever. The, uh, yeah, exactly. Upon like the long, you know, whatever they're because Splatoon will always have one large update. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the first game, that was the August update. For the second game, mm-hmm. uh, we just had the uh, the update April. for that game, the April mm-hmm. update. So we should. So upon the second main or the 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 big update, that's when the game should get re-reviewed, uh, mm-hmm. because that's when a lot of the that's when the game feels at its most complete. Mm-hmm. Before its completion, yeah, agreed. Then one after completion in June, after Octo expansion or whatever, I will probably yeah. The Octo expansion to me is what really hammers in the point that this game is truly a sequel. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, oh, I can't wait for the Octo expansion. But moving on, uh, mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild is the next game on the list, selling eight point four eight million units. That's mm-hmm. huge. This mm-hmm. officially makes Breath of the Wild. The best-selling Zelda, Zelda game, game, not counting Zelda games that have had remakes, remakes or remasters. Uh, not counting so, all the versions you know, of Ocarina of Time. Yeah, but I mean, I want to really point out one of the things because uh, one of the one of the points of this the number here because it might be lost uh, to some to my reviewers. But the difference between Splatoon two sales and Breath of the Wild sales is two point four six million. 2.46 million. That's a huge, staggering number. And so I think it really just shows the um, how how great Beth- Breath of the Wild was, or is, well, rather. And to be fair, that's not all of the Breath of the Wild units that were sold. That was just what Breath of the Wild sold on the Nintendo Switch. 
million additional copies of Breath of the Wild were sold on the Wii U. So the game has sold almost 10 million copies if you factor in the uh, Wii U numbers. But at 8.48 million units on just the Switch iteration alone, that's fantastic. That's that's crazy. Again, the best-selling Zelda game without having a remake. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a port, but it doesn't matter. Only 1.5 million of the, of the uh, Wii U version were sold, so that's still like... Mm-hmm. An insanely large number for us all the game. That's that's fantastic news. And yeah. it was such a great game. It deserved it. I mean, the game, mm-hmm. the game will continue to sell throughout the you know the, the the course of the console's lifespan because it's just a great game. Not everybody who's going to buy a Wii U has bought a Wii U yet. And I know there's a lot of people who are still waiting for the Wii U's li- or the Switch's library to you know expand. But when they do decide to make that purchase, they're going to have a large uh, back catalog of games, and you can guarantee that Breath of the Wild is part of that back catalog. It's going to be sold uh, right alongside whatever new games get sold with it. All right, so next up, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe sold 9.22 million copies. This is a port. This game is a port, and it sold 9.22 million copies. How many copies did that game sell on the uh, Wii U? Wasn't it something like 10 million copies for the Wii U version alone, 8.4 million. So, this game has sold uh, six, uh, 15 million units, 15 million units, no, uh, 17 million units combined with the the Wii U. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, look at that compared to Breath of the Wild. Obviously, it's had a bit more time with the Wii U sales, but you know, isn't that's more than just Breath of the Wild itself, too? So, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's I could not believe uh, that number right there because it's a port. It's a port, and yeah, yes, they made some really fantastic changes to the game, like fixing battle mode mm-hmm. and the items. I, I mostly items. play battle mode. I mostly mm-hmm. play battle mode, uh, but the double items and all the mm-hmm. DLC and the inkling characters being added to the game really helped put this game over it. It doesn't feel like a new game, but there's enough changes that it almost kind of feels like a new game like it it's like 75% like a new, feeling like a new game but then that like 25% you know that you've played this game before because of the mm-hmm. you know the stage selection and whatnot yeah. but yeah that's fantastic that those are big numbers those are mm-hmm. big numbers for a port definitely uh, and finally the game that blew all their games out of the water was Super Mario Odyssey oh, at 2.41 mm-hmm. million units not so, surprised they sold 17 million units, mm-hmm. and 10 million of those units have Mario Odyssey attached to them. Mm-hmm. That's mind-blowing. Yeah. That's yeah. mind-blowing. Especially considering how uh, relatively short amount of time that game has been out. Yeah, uh, It really just shows that Mario is a, uh, is a mover. It's, I think, it's nice to see that he still has it. You know? I think... It's it's not even as much that he's the mover. He, having him as the mover is great, but I think you start things off strong by Zelda being the launch title. That gets people's trust back very early on. You know, after the Wii U, people weren't sure, and then you have the success of Zelda getting that install base for the Switch early on. Then, you, as you were saying, um, nice one earlier. Breath of the Wild is one of the few games that looks like it was truly built and made for the Switch. 
that people can see that people will see that and they will put their eyes on Mario even more seeing that that sort of it's built for the ground up for the switch and that's what you're looking at so you have you have install base created you have Mario you have it's built for the switch and you have the holiday push and I think that's well, how it really got there well not just that I think it's uh also a factor in the fact that this is like a return to form for Mario yeah. I think mm-hmm. this is the Mario game that people have been craving for because a lot of the Mario games that we've you know had our two know, linear play. like galaxy and well, not just that but we like Nintendo has made such a strong push at 2D Mario that yeah. I think people got sick of 2D Mario for a while. I mean and then uh Mario 3D Land as or 3D World as fun of a game as that was well it wasn't on the right console because yeah. the reason why the 3D Land worked was because of the 3DS's obviously mm-hmm. you know 3D graphics stereoscopic 3D that helped uh, with camera angles and whatnot, and on the Wii U, it, you know, the sequel game, it felt weird. Yeah, it didn't because you could solve puzzles in the 3D version by turning the 3D on and off. That was a big thing. Like yeah. things that didn't layer optical illusions almost. I mean, when you turn the 3D on, they weren't. Oh, there's your answer, and you can't do that in the Wii U version. It felt yeah. fun. It was, but uh, it was I mean, by the system. The, the other problem was the idea, I think, behind the development of the the Wii U one. It was a weird mm-hmm. hybrid between the 2D and mm-hmm. the Super Mario 64 3D. And, well, it's interesting in concept, and it's really, really fun. Um, it I don't doesn't know. work too well in practice. It feels weird in practice, I guess. Well, right? yeah. Captain Toad, which used the exact same game engine, mm-hmm. was the better game uh, of those two. If you're talking about Mario 3D World and Captain Toad... Captain Toad is a far better game using the same mechanics and the same engine. And it's mm-hmm. because of it's a slower-paced game, more puzzle-based, and uh-huh. they really, really use the motion controls to that game's advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with the Wii U version is that it's a multiplayer game, so it's mm-hmm. not, not everybody's going to have the same access to motion controls mm-hmm. uh, that you know the, the person playing with the game gamepad has. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that really definitely. hindered like how that game worked fundamentally. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, Super Mario Odyssey just blowing stuff out of the water. Love, love to see that uh, Mario has Mario's back, man. You, mm-hmm. you see that Mario's back, and I don't think the marketing campaign uh, hurt either, man. That they really, no. really like pushed the game. Of course, they had the uh, Jump Up Superstar in all their commercials. For yeah, this. I was about to say, yeah, you don't even know how people I'd see on the street just at the bus stop whistling Jump Up Superstar. Just, oh, I know that tune. You're, you're playing Mario Odyssey right now, aren't they you? They literally had the catchiest song mm-hmm. you know, that they could market the game with. So you start to associate that commercial with that song, and you start to associate that song with the game, and you associate mm-hmm. the game with the console. And so when someone's listening on the street, you're like, oh, I want to go to New Donk next. You know, yeah, yeah. It's like the marketing for this game was just Mm -hmm. you know pure brilliance, and I know they spent a lot of money on marketing. I think they spent like something like five million dollars marketing that game that first month alone. They could have spent more money on the cereal, though. (laughs) (laughs) And also, that helped as well. I mean, seriously though, like tying the cereal to the game didn't hurt either. Like, like they really marketed that hell out of Super Mario Odyssey. They did. They did. So that's a lot of like big numbers for Nintendo, man. They, oh, totally. they they sold crazy. They sold crazy amount of units. So the grand total 
was like 68 million units. That's a lot of games. And it's interesting to see the breakdown to see mm-hmm. that like Mario Odyssey alone was 10 million of that 60 million. That's that's great. But yeah, man, Nintendo's first party games like really, really moving the needle. And they needed this to happen. This is the exact opposite of what happened on the Wii U. First off, on the Wii U, we didn't have this many first party titles, you know, right away. We just didn't. Like, we're not even factoring in like games like Mario Rabbids, Sonic Mania, which itself, Sonic Mania sold 1 million units, you know, across all the consoles. Yeah. Like, these games are like, you know, the other games are selling as well. So it's, and Ubisoft said that uh, uh, Mario Rabbids was the, their best selling, you know, game on, on a console last year. So that's, that's fantastic news as well. I don't know how many units that game actually moved, but it had to be significant enough for Ubisoft to say that. So, you know, I think this is a a good point to segue where, um, when we're talking about these sales numbers, uh, Nintendo does plan to hopefully sell 20 million more switch units by the end of the current fiscal year. And, you know, if they keep coming out with strong titles like the ones that they have, I I think that's definitely um, possible. I think it's achievable. Well, look at the games that we have uh, on the slate. So we know Smash is coming out later this year. Smash games move consoles. They Mm -hmm. definitely move consoles. Uh, We know with 100% certainty that the next Pokemon game, mainline Pokemon game, is also going to be coming out for the Nintendo Switch. So that in and of itself right there, you can guarantee that when Pokemon uh, moves to the Switch, that that's, gonna, that's consoles sold. That's at mm-hmm. least 10 million consoles sold right Easy, in yeah. Mm-hmm. Easily. So uh, if Pokemon can come out between now and March of, of 2019, they're going to hit 20 million units Relatively Easy. easily because with mm-hmm. Smash coming out and and Pokemon, that's that's constant. And here in the states, I know a lot of people are anticipating the release of Metroid Prime Four. Now, typically, Metroid doesn't move consoles, mm-hmm. but there's been such a wide gap between Metroid Prime Three and Four mm-hmm. that I think this one might be a needle mover. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. In some fashion, yeah. It depends on if it's games. good, honestly, and I, I have high hopes. But it's like. One of those things where if it's hyped up like Other M and then falls straight up meh like Other M did, it won't move needles. But if it's Metroid Prime 2, but it's 4, and it's even better than Metroid Prime 2, we're going to see a bit of needle movers. Don't it may know. not even matter, though. It, it, may, it may be the case that it's been so long that people are just going to buy it without Anyone seeing is. the reviews. You know what Probably. I mean? Probably. Honestly, it, yeah. It, it's, it's, it, it, could, it could go either way. I could see and, that, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, it's uh, other M is definitely an example of people people being burned somewhere along along the lines. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But I mean, I think the Pokemon thing is also another interesting thing, is um, because it kind of ties into one of our other points that we're going to talk about later, and that's for the Nintendo 3DS. We know that um, they want to support the 3DS, but we also know that Pokemon it, uh, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon was supposedly the last one. And so it's kind of like, well, you're moving on to the Switch, but what is that going to do for the 3DS, you know? Yeah. Um, well, that's interesting because uh, that we can use that as a segue. They did say that they are going to continue to support the 3DS 
for 2019 and beyond. Beyond 2019, they are going to continue to sell the 3DS. They're going to continue to make software for it. Uh, they expect to sell an additional 4 million units of the 3DS between now and March of 2019 alone. Uh, we have one game announced for 2019, and that is uh, the Mario & Luigi uh, Bowser's Inside Story. Um, that's a weird uh, release date that they announced that game mm -hmm. uh, so far in advance, but I honestly think it's because they're going to announce uh, Mario & Luigi uh, Partners in time. time at E3. I think they're going to actually announce that at E3. Uh, there's no way they're skipping over that game, even yeah. though Personally, I think it's the worst Mario Luigi game. I don't think they're skipping it. I think they're going. They're holding it. They're going to show it off uh, at E3. Uh, so but, yeah. I think we should uh, probably um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, include the fact that with the support, Kimishima has said they're going to um, support it unless the. Nintendo Switch is a one per person system, which means that if because the Switch is currently a hybrid console, mm -hmm. it's designed to be at home and you know take it with you if 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 you're going. Uh, but it's also designed to be like the entire family can use it. So mm -hmm. if we see it move from kind of a family console that you could kind of take with you to a handheld that you could also mm -hmm. play at home in a console, then in that event, we'll likely see the 3DS have drop support. Well, I can confirm that there are two Nintendo Switches in my household. One for me, mm -hmm. one for my fiance. Yeah. So it, it I is, think it's it's on its way to be that. I th I think it, it's pretty much going to rival the 3DS in that regard. Which the 3DS is one of those things where it's if you have four people in your household, it's probably going to have four 3DSs in your household, if not more. I you think the Switch Nintendo will definitely rival that. Nintendo yeah. can force the hand of that of of making that thing, where remember how uh, the DS and the DS like have uh, that cross play where you can play like Mario Kart but only have one cartridge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As long as they yeah, continue to not do that with the Switch, it forces people's hands to. Uh, if so, if you have like multiple children in the household, got it. You know, that's fine when you're in the house, but there's no way they're sharing that on the go. Even with you a can't game like play Mario Kart. Kart in the car with their yeah. two, yeah, that makes sense. The screen is not big enough. The, the screen's so, not mean, big enough. They need their own systems and their own copies of the game at that point. Yeah, they need two switches and two copies of Mario Kart at minimum. So uh, this is the quote, and this is in an article from Newsweek. Uh, Kimishima is stating that given that Nintendo Switch is a home gaming system that can be taken on the go. This situation may change if it grows from being a one-per-household system to a one-per-person system. But the price of Nintendo Switch is not something with which most parents would buy a system for every one of their children in a short period of time. That's a key part right there. <laughs> Moving forward, we will work to ascertain what kinds of play people want at which price points. And as long as there is such demand, we will, we will continue to sell the Nintendo 3DS system. I see the product coexisting with Nintendo Switch at this point in time. And I think that's a good point. With with a price point of you know 300 something after tax, usually about 350. If you have three kids, you're you're dropping close to a grand, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's a good point um, that he makes. It's it's hard for it to 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 be something you buy each one of your kids. Yeah. 
Well, it just goes to show that Kimishima truly understands the market in a way mm-hmm. that maybe uh, Iwata didn't. Like, mm-hmm. I'm no way to bash Satoru Iwata. That man was a genius in mm-hmm. so many ways. But when it came to pricing, fi- financial decisions and mm-hmm. pricing and how to sell the console, he mm-hmm. he might have not been the right you know Fit. leader mm-hmm. for that particular yeah, thing. Yeah, he would have worked in so many other different ways, making him president is almost underutilizing uh, Iwata's actual skill set. Yeah. But Kimishima is much more business oriented. Mm -hmm. He really understands the consumer, I think. Yeah. And he's a lot more experienced, I'd say. He's a lot older than Iwata um, was and had a previous experience leading Pokemon Company as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Under his Pokemon Company went from Pokemon USA to Pokemon International, to the Pokemon company. Like, the Pokemon brand grew significantly larger mm-hmm. under his watch. It made oh, so much sense that when Nintendo was in a time of need that they brought him in to steer mm-hmm. the ship. And we're going to yeah. talk a little bit more about him in just a second. Yeah. But what I, I really just want to point, he, like, I, like we were all just said here, he really understood the market, which we can segue, at to, we can segue right now. Uh, Kimishima is going to retire come June. So post D3, he is going to be stepping down. He's not leaving Nintendo, uh, mind you. Uh, he's taking on a different role in the company. He's going to be an advisor, um, which is good. That's a good fit for him. Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. as Jada yeah. says, he understands the market. He understands how to market. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a better fit for him. But he was definitely the right guy to steer the ship on course when they had gotten so far off course with the Wii U. Uh, it's almost a shame to see him stepping down from this position because he's so good at it. He's so yeah. good at it. I mean, but the guy the guy is stiff. That's I think that's the, the biggest downside to Kimishima is is he's very traditional Japanese businessman. And a lot of a lot of what Kimishima brings to the table is old world mentality. He's very old school Japan business, but that being said, that's what Nintendo needed when they needed mm-hmm. it. They needed yeah, yeah, it seemed yeah. to have worked. So definitely, and you know, so, he gave us. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if I, it is actually him, but I credit him because it just seems to be coincidental. But when he was president, he gave us a crap ton of Nintendo waifus. Like you keep saying that, and I feel like that's. That can't be his own doing. Yeah, but can't. I credit him for that. <laughs> I know, I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> but I mean, I, I really, I, I'm gonna miss him. I think. All right. Um, yeah. As well. He was, he was really good for the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Definitely. So this is just a brief rundown of Kimishima's actual career. Uh, he's 68 years old now. He stepped into the role uh, when Iwata died in 2015. They didn't wait. They they waited a proper amount of time. It took a month before he was actually reinstated as or instated as president but upon his uh arrival as president there were significant changes made so first and foremost the one thing that i think super important was that he took all the development teams and he combined them into one development team so the handheld development team the console development team and the uh the console you know making development teams were all merged. And that's why we got so many games mm-hmm. so fast in the launch year. Because all these console developers, all these uh, all these console heads 
were working together and they under, they got to understand the software and the hardware uh, capabilities and limitations. Mm -hmm. And that changed everything. He also made certain moves that took uh, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto out of the director's chair and made him the, 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 uh, the fellow of entertainment, which takes, you know, Miyamoto away from the game side of things and makes things like the Super Mario movie deal and Universal Studio deal come to life because Miyamoto, as as godly as he has been as a video game developer, he is at a point now in his life and his career where he is better suited to making the experiences that we are gonna that we all crave. <laughs> we need like like Jaden said earlier in the episode, Nintendo is about not just games, but giving you an experience. Mm -hmm. This experience will now extend beyond just the video game, and it will extend into our real world. Mm -hmm. We're going to have three Nintendo theme parks, one, one in Japan, one in Florida, and one in California. These experiences will be birthed by Miyamoto's, uh, you know, working with Universal Studios, and that is a great place for him to be. That's where his career trajectory should have gone Mm -hmm. A lot sooner, Awada should have made that decision to mm -hmm. bring him over there. This this allowed for developers like the Splatoon development team to make a game like Splatoon, and the Arms development team to make a game like Arms, and for the Zelda franchise to grow in the way that it did. Breath of the Wild is a far better game, the way it was made, than had it been stuck under Miyamoto's you know, heavy, watchful eye. Miyamoto always has to have, like, a gimmick in his games. He always has to have a gimmick. But now, you know, Nintendo developers are working on their own. You know, yeah. I mean, Miyamoto still gets to oversee them, but his yeah. input is... His, his strict input is not so heavily mm -hmm. required anymore. Yeah, and that's one of the things with Miyamoto is, you know, he... he I think gimmick is, is it one way to put it. Sometimes he hits it, and sometimes he misses the mark. Yeah. Definitely. It's always very interesting. It's always very different. It's always mm -hmm. very um, exceptional. Yeah. But it's not always the right experience, if that makes any sense at all. I think I'm kind of butchering my idea there. But you don't ever want to say anything bad about Miyamoto, but you just... I, I just think... He, it wasn't working. Yeah. It yeah, worked exactly. back in the day. It's iffy now. You know, gamers develop, you know, the, the gamers' tastes have changed in mm -hmm. especially in the course of the last like 10 years with mobile mm -hmm. gaming. Like mobile yeah. gaming has changed the landscape. And console games need to stand out a lot more now because there's always some similar version mm -hmm. on a mobile device of, of you know of a really good game. Like you take, you know, Wind Waker and then you have Ocean Horn. <laughs> there's a similar mm -hmm. version of that game that people can get for far cheaper. So console games have to evolve. And yeah. I think Miyamoto is coming from a very old school mentality, even though Miyamoto's mentality was years ahead of the game, you know, back in the day. Like it's caught up world, and outdated. Now. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The rest of the world, exactly. They caught up. Uh, that's not the only major change to happen, though. Uh, uh, so he has stepped down from his role uh, of Nintendo president of Nintendo of Europe, and he is going to become a director. Uh, he's going to be on the board of directors uh, for Nintendo. Mm -hmm. It's a big step up for him. Uh, 
He's being called back to Japan. This is a much larger role, which one that will allow him to have input as far as the direction in, of the company overall. Mm-hmm. It's a better role for him. Uh, his tenure, you know, his his tenure at Nintendo of Europe really saw Nintendo expand in those 10 years. So a lot of people who don't know, I grew up in Europe. Like I spent 10 years of my life in Europe. Nintendo's foothold in Europe while I was living there was really small and really bad. Uh, when <laughs> I, no, they did, they had, they had like nothing. Like they, they, they sold Nintendo consoles, but the marketing was almost non-existent as far as Germany is concerned. Like I grew up in Germany and I've, you know, in, in the UK, their marketing was a little bit better, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, as far as like non-English speaking territories, they did not do a really great job of marketing Nintendo. Under uh, Shibata's tenure, they grew a lot very fast, uh, and they their marketing uh, their marketing in European territories got much better. So for him to come back and bring that sensibility uh, to the, Ninten- the larger Nintendo company is really good. And now he's had he has the added experience of understanding what the European market really is. That's going to really help the Japanese development staff understand uh, what what development will call, will take to appeal to the European you know markets. All right. So as far as that, that's that's pretty big. But the biggest piece of news here was Shuntaro Furukawa was named president of Nintendo. So this is a very big uh, age of diff- uh, age gap between where uh, Tatsumi Kimishima is and where uh, Shuntaro Furukawa is. He is only 46 years old, putting him closer in line to where Iwata's age range is. I, mm-hmm. I think Iwata would have actually been. Uh, Iwata was 42 when he was He was 42 when he was named president. Mm-hmm. So he's a little bit older than Iwata, mm-hmm. but furukawa has been with Nintendo for about 25 years. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's not new to the game. No. Which that's pretty good. Yeah. So he he's also has a uh, a history working with uh, the Pokemon brand. Mm-hmm. So that so he he knows how to market the bigger uh franchises. Mm-hmm. Similar <clears throat> to uh, Kimishima. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Shintaro Furukawa, he's been working for Nintendo since 1994. He mm-hmm. was the outside director of the Pokemon company since 2012. He uh, has assumed the roles of managing executive officer, superior of supervisor of corporate analysis and administration division, and the director of Nintendo since 2016. He also uh, worked on the marketing plans for the Nintendo Switch. So he's got a wide breadth of skills working for Nintendo. He's pretty much done it all. The guy is very uh well rounded. Exactly. So yeah, he yeah. he's he, he has a lot of, of experience that will mm-hmm. really help him in the long you run. Know, Let's start as to why he's become president. I think that's a that's pretty important. I like uh the the quote that uh uh Kimishima gave as to why Furukawa was chosen as president. And this is also ties into why uh, Kimishima is stepping down. So this is a direct quote. I was asked about my duties when I took over as president while Nintendo Switch was still in development. And one of my biggest responsibilities at the time was to launch that platform and get it to consumers just as we had envisioned. 
My second role was to change our directional structure to speed up decision-making and execution on a variety of projects that members of the management team were considering at the time. It takes people to support that, and it was essential that we build a structure that allowed the new generation to play an active role. So that goes into what I was saying earlier, that he decided that it would be a good idea to take all the development teams and combine them into one larger you know, development team. And, and, you know, before you gloss over that, like uh, if anyone who if you haven't worked in a big organization, that's basically organizational um, restructuring, which is actually really hard to do. It's a really big transition within uh, a company, within an organization. And, you know, you know, to take such an undertaking like that and have it yield such uh, great rewards is absolutely fantastic. It's I mean, really don't want to gloss over that point because that's a really, really big point if you've never, you know, worked in 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 a big organization. Exactly. So the quote continues, as we progress with delegating authority, including that the authority for corporate governance, we created a system where our younger senior managers would be able to act. In the past two plus years, they have shown what they are capable of accomplishing. Our latest financial results are far better than originally forecasted which speaks to the fruits of our efforts to date. My successor, Furukawa, worked with me as general manager of the corporate planning department to advance our operations. He has fully fleshed out what this non-traditional collective leadership system we have created will be. So I believe that this is the perfect time for a change of president. With the breadth of projects we are working on, now is the time to transfer power further to new people and to promote a general shift to bring stronger momentum to Nintendo through these changes. That's pretty good reasoning. That is pretty good reasoning as to why he has chosen to step down and why he would pick someone as young as Furukawa. So first off, Furukawa sat at his right hand the whole mm-hmm. time. They worked hand in hand to make the switch into the success that it has been. So mm-hmm. he was essentially grooming Furukawa for this position. He's like, I have taken an active role in making you the next person to run this company. Mm-hmm. That's, that's yeah. really great. And the next thing I want to bring up is because of Furukawa's age, 46, which, you know, to be the president of a company, that's that's pretty young. This is what he had to say. I grew up playing the Famicom and come from that generation. Now as a member of management with Super Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto, I have a lot of respect for him. On the other hand, with this new job, that can't just be it. So I expect it. I so I expect to say what needs to be said to run this company. So he's already got this take charge attitude. He looks mm-hmm. like he's going to want to continue to usher in the changes that Kimishima has already put forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, continuing on with his quote, he says, the key thing here is that management is getting younger. They will have to execute the switch's growth plan so that, so that in a sense, this is a new start. So a couple of things that work in uh, Furukawa's uh, favor is that he speaks fluent English. That is really, speaks, really good, actually. This makes him the first fluent English president of Nintendo, which means that interviews with him are going to be a lot easier to come by. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it makes him a little bit more worldly than yeah. previous Nintendo presidents. Yeah. Uh, and when I mean, and when I say more worldly, he wants to build a billion-dollar mobile gaming business. So he's already ready to enact some of his corporate plans. And one of those being 
mobile development. He has seen that mobile development has been a key financial uh, business opportunity for Nintendo with games like Pokemon Go and Fire Emblem. Obviously, the Dragalia Lost thing, he had a large hand in uh, making this this come together. Like he it, he has a, a clear path for where Nintendo should go, and I think that's really important for the company as a whole. Yeah, I think um, it, it's hard to say with Furukawa because Furukawa is is relatively unknown. We know that he's been a long-term Nintendo salaryman, um, so he's been with the company since like 1994. Uh, we know that he was more or less groomed by Kimishima, which which is good. I I, I trust Kimishima's judgment, but in terms of um, how how his vision is going to actually pan out in a tangible way, um, I think we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm optimistic because Kimishima did have a role in this, but um, you know, it's anyone's guess at this point. Well, the, the last quote I have uh, from Furukawa uh, goes like this: "Mr. Kima has Mr. Kimishima has shown through his own actions what it means to manage a company collectively rather than relying on the efforts of a single person." And I understand my role as one of the as one of continuing the same course. So it seems like he has understood full well what Kimishima's actual goals and plans were. And again, this comes from, you know, working side by side with him. He's been groomed to run the company a certain way, in my opinion, in the two years that he's been working with Kimishima. So hopefully he really does stay in the course, but you never know. Every president will run things you know, a little bit differently from the from the you know the next. But uh, hell, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what changes happen under his tenure. So these are big changes for Nintendo as a whole. Honestly, like all these these major shakeups happening during the peak of success right now. I mean, right now we're at the peak of success. We don't know if this is going to change. It could get better. It could get worse. But right now they are at a at a nice peak. So it's very interesting to to see them make these kind of changes. This is a major shakeup, especially since uh, Kimishima was doing a phenomenal job. He was really steering the company on the right path. It's, it's almost heartbreaking to see him leave because I felt like he was doing a really good job. And, and that is what I find the most surprising, is I find that, his, that Kimishima stepping down feels almost premature in a weird way if it had been you know one or two years later down the road i could be like okay i see it i, I see that makes sense but the switch only launched just launched and they're on a roll um it seems a bit weird although maybe maybe it's the fact that they are on the roll maybe they're using that to um help cushion the transition because it'd be the worst thing to transition someone when they're in dire straits, perhaps. Well, also considering that, like, his tenure is really his tenure was just short in general. Like, yeah, like before him, you know, uh, uh, Iwata's uh, tenure was like from 2002 till he passed, and Hiroshi Yamauchi <laughs> was was working for Nintendo from 1949 up until 2002. Like the, there haven't been a whole lot of presidents of Nintendo. There haven't. Yeah. 
and Yamauchi was only the third. Like yeah. uh, his his grandfather his grandfather was, you know, the the founder, and his father was the the you know second president. There, you know, to see a fourth president come in, uh, well, fifth president come in so quickly. That's a it's it's jarring. That's jarring. I mean, we all knew that his role was interim, but he got to the point where he just felt like, you know, the president of Nintendo. Agreed. The, I also kind of like the fact that he made the choice to step down, though he wasn't ousted. You know, yeah, the, I do like that. Like, you know, he the the obviously the uh, the financial investors in Nintendo were satisfied, and you know, with the work he had done, he he got to leave on his own terms as far as a uh, as this is what I came here to do. I set, I set us back on the right course, and now it's time for me to step down and let a younger man with his own ideas come and, and steer the company. Like I course corrected, and, and I think that might be what he's best at. He might just be best at course correcting. Like there are some people who are built to you know fix the messes of other people, and yeah, <laughs> I, I mean like I, I hate to say that because it, it really like. It, it, it's like throwing shade at uh, Satoru Iwata, and that's the last thing I want to do uh, because I have so much respect for what Iwata uh, was as president of Nintendo. But again, I, you know, there were some things that Iwata was, they weren't his strong suits. And when things got out of hand, I, I don't necessarily think he knew what exactly it took to, you know, to fix, you know, to, to steer the ship in the right direction. Uh, but Kimishima did. Uh, now, a lot can be said that all he did was uh, pretty much take everything that Iwata had in the pipeline and just execute it because the Switch was in development already when he was president. The Universal deal had already gone through bef- you know, during Iwata's tenure, and all uh, Kimishima did was put those things into action. So... Do we really have a true, uh, you know, gauge of what he actually did for the company in terms of of uh, of changes? I think the only one, the only thing that we can clearly say was his defining decision was to incorporate all the development heads into into one larger umbrella. Uh, that was definitely very uniquely his own idea, and it, he definitely executed that and. The Switch has seen far more success because of that, because now we had software to go with this really great hardware. Agreed. But yeah, I mean, we'll see where things go in the uh, Furukawa era. We'll, you know, we'll we'll find out come June what his plans truly are, because uh, 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 Kimishima will not officially step down until after E3. So we'll see what is down on the E3 pipeline. And after E3, we have a lot of stuff to look forward to. So, uh, I mean, I guess that's it for today's show. Brendan had to leave a little bit early. Uh, so I'm going to get uh, do his sign off. You can follow him at the King blues, uh, blue spelled with two O's and a Z at the end. And he, uh, it's also the same for his Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash the King blues. You can hit me up on Twitter at nice one, nine, eight, three. And you can email me at nice one, nine, eight, three at gmail.com. Uh, Jaden, go ahead. You can hit me up at Twitter at Jaden Winsong. And um, same thing with Twitch, uh, twitch.com slash Jaden Winsong. You know, it's, um, yeah. 
<laughs> All right, and guys, you know that you can always download new episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, stream new episodes on Stitcher Radio. If you're a fan of watching us live, you can catch us right here on YouTube, youtube.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. And we also have a Facebook page that we are uploading our podcast videos to as well. Facebook.com slash Nintendo Power Zone. Thank you guys so much for watching. And remember to stay fresh. <laughs>